You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 54 of the Library Pros Podcast. And I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And greetings from the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join our email subscription service on our webpage, thelibrarypros.com, and please consider leaving a review and tell a friend or colleague because word of mouth is how people learn about us. And please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. So today joining us is Michelle Arbuckle. Michelle is a director, member engagement and education at the Ontario Library Association in Toronto. Michelle oversees the execution of all OLA educational events, including Superconference, Annual Institute on the Library as a Place, Copyright Symposium, Marketing Think Tank, Digital Odyssey, RA in the Day, the OCULA conferences, and wow, do you do anything else? You're kind of busy. <laughs> we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Oh, sure. So thanks for joining us today on this lovely, disgusting, rainy, horrible day. Thank you. And my colleague just brought in a, uh, a can of cold brew for me, so it's going to power me through today. Nice. nice. Excellent. Yeah. So we're going to speak to Michelle about the top skills and training every, and we're saying every, librarian needs to have immediately. But first, let's get to know Michelle. So, Michelle, we've been fortunate with the podcast to speak to local people here on Long Island and with people from all over the world. And one thing that we find fascinating is the level of education that is needed to be a librarian. So mm -hmm. here in the U.S., uh, you need a master's degree. Is this true in Ontario as well? Yes, it sure is. I mean, there is a border that separates us, but let's be clear, the differences aren't that vast when it comes to professional <laughs> requirements. Um, what I will say is, I mean, we are cognizant of, um, you know, the realities of what are going on in most workplaces, which is that there is right now the trend for people to hire outside of the MLIS. Uh, we also, I also work with a lot of people who have uh, teacher qualifications, so additional AQs, we call them. Uh, for teacher librarians working in schools. Uh, and then we also work with trustees who have uh, the governance um, responsibility for libraries and have not come within a 10-foot pole of an MLIS. So uh, yes, to be called a capital L librarian, you should have an MLIS in this country, but we recognize that there are people working from all different types of backgrounds in libraries. Well, you know, it's interesting too. Um, here in New York, depending on the size of the population that you serve, you can run a library with less than a master's degree. And mm -hmm. in some respects, if the, if the population is small enough, uh, a high school degree will do. Um, but that has to do with population. Uh, I don't know if it's the same way over in Ontario. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's definitely not any, uh, I mean, if there are requirements for CEOs, I'm not familiar with them, but I know uh, from firsthand experience that there are, you know, much like, much like the conversation that just happened with ALA and their ED, right? This ongoing debate of should you have, what are the qualifications for someone who's running a library? So is it a business background? Is it more, uh, you know, someone familiar with the community? So a community relations angle. And I know there are a lot of CEOs working out there right now that do not have an MLIS and their libraries are running fantastically well. And, you know, they know who they have to hire to, to have that expertise on the floor. So, yeah, it's a reality. 
Yeah, it is. So tell us about the Ontario Library Association, because I don't know if you're familiar with the New York Library Association, uh, but they do provide education and advocacy for libraries here in New York State. And they support us uh, with regard to securing state funding for libraries, and uh, they hold an annual conference for continuing ed. And, um, and I'm sure they do even more. And if Jeremy Johansson was here, um, he would be saying, Chris, we do so much more. But I'm mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, surmising and, and keeping it brief. Uh, so tell us about what the OLA does for its members. Absolutely. So I, I just listened. Uh, I was mentioning uh, off pod. Uh, I just listened to the Nyla uh, episode and I'm listening. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we do all the exact same things. We're pretty much, I shouldn't say that because there are some differences, but we are a member association here at OLA. We are uh, the oldest continually running library association in Canada. Um, and we, um, so we are a member association. We have 5,000 members across the country. I don't really want to get into the politics of it, but essentially we don't really have an ALA. We don't have a CLA. We used to, um, it was dissolved and now we have a federation nationally. Um, I am not an association executive, so I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of what that means, but essentially <laughs> all of the, you know, large libraries of Canada belong to CFLA individual members belong to OLA. Um, which means like we don't have say over, I mean, we don't have say over anything that happens in libraries when it comes to how they're governed or how they get funding. What we do is we work uh, at a member level with individuals to find out, you know, what are their education needs, what um, support do they need in terms of advocacy, which then gets them funding. We, I work with a lot of CEOs, of course, across the province. And like I said, and now more nationally, OLA is the largest association in Canada, so um, so we have representation, you know, coast to coast, and um, yeah, so we work on a number of different initiatives throughout the year to bring people together in person, much like Nyla does. Um, I think at this point we're at 13 events throughout the year, which I um, oversee, the biggest of which is called the OLA Super Conference. That's right, because it is the superest. I was going to say, do, do you get a cape when you go to it? or? I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it's better than ALA, but I am dusting off my shoulders right now. Um, we, have, uh, we do have between 4,500 and 5,000 attendees at that conference. And it, is, um, it, is, it acts right now as a de facto national conference for Canada. So uh, it is the biggest one that we organize. And it's a great opportunity for everybody to come together. Uh, I bet you that takes a lot of work. We have to hear more about that as well. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so, Michelle, tell us how long you've been in the profession. Okay. I graduated from grad school in 2002. I went to Western University in London, Ontario um, for, oh my gosh, uh, I'm going to say five years. Straight out of library school, I was a hospital librarian. So I worked with patients in a um, cancer hospital. And then right after that, um, just to do a quick 180, I went to be a music librarian at the National, uh, sorry, the Canadian Music Centre, which is the national organization for contemporary composers in Canada. Um, my bachelor degree is in music, so that's, you know, it all came together. Um, and then when I was in that role at the Canadian Music Centre, I um, was on the board for OLA. So I was on the OLEDA division, which is the technology um, division for OLA. And we were at a board meeting 
and I think it was my second board meeting, and they said one of the agenda items was OLA needs someone to help with education. Um, and right away, I kind of perked up, and I thought, hmm, it's a conflict of interest for me to just put my hand up right now. So literally, like on the coffee break, I went into the ED's office, and I was like, listen, I love the sounds of this job. Um, I understand the realities of, you know, salary constraints in the nonprofit world, but I want to put my name in the hat. And so she said, you know, obviously you can do that. Um, you it will still be an open hiring process. Uh, so she didn't hire me on the spot is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the rest is history. So that was in 2010 that, uh, that that happened. And then I started in January, uh, January, 2011 here at OLA. And you just took the steam right out of my next question, but that know, was awesome. Sorry. That's all right. So, so what attracted? I'm going to switch it up a little bit. What attracted you to come to OLA? Yeah. So, I mean, anybody who is a solo librarian knows you live to see another librarian. Uh, <laughs> like really, you spend all day. When I was in the hospital, I spent all day with you know nurse educators, and um, it was a cancer hospital, so a lot of radiologists and surgeons and. Um, which is fine. I love that job. It was great. Super busy. Um, lots of really impactful work. But I lived for those conferences, the networking events. Um, I loved all things OLA. I loved the super conference. And I would always reach out um, in the health community at that time, like health library committees, organizations, associations. And I would immediately just want to get involved in any education stuff that they were organizing. So I helped with you know, just straight up, let's have wine and talk about articles we liked, um, to any socials that we did, to any um, web, it wasn't webinars at the time, but there was, you know, like virtual things. There was even like, we used to have teleconference meetings where a speaker would teleconference in and people could ask questions and that kind of thing. So I did that in addition to my job since I got a job in library land. Um, I've always loved figuring out what people want to learn and how to teach that to them. And so this job was just a great fit because I got to work with all different types of libraries and basically I'm just planning things all day long. It's great. That really, oh, what happened here? I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Is that a fire truck? I think Rob's vacuuming. Oh. No, no, I'm not, that's not on my end at all. That's weird. Well, anyway, it passed. So we'll say it's a fire truck passing somewhere. That was weird. Okay, fire okay. truck. Fire truck. And actually, it's a. We're going to take a break too because uh, when we're going to talk to Michelle in our next segment about her experience in her position and talk about the skills librarians, whether newly graduated in the field for a long time, must possess to do in the 21st century. So we'll be back in just a moment. And we are back with Michelle Arbuckle from the Ontario Library Association. So before we, we get into those skills that every librarian 
should have. Tell us about some of the events that OLA has for its members. We talked about it before a little earlier, but if you wanted to expand on that, that'd be great. Sure. I mean, we, um, so I mentioned, you know, that we're a member association that translates into, we have, I want to say at last count, we had over 500 volunteers um, who put some kind of effort into OLA during the course of a year. So that means that any event that we program is essentially born of the ideas from a volunteer group of, of library professionals, library staff, trustees, what have you. Um, so I have committees of different types of people from different libraries and across the province. Um, and so sometimes there are new issues that come up that we create an event for, and sometimes there are ongoing ones. So ongoing ones, the OLA Super Conference. It happens at the end of January. It's a four-day event. It's essentially planned for 11 months out of the year. It happens at the end of January, and then we start planning again at uh, the beginning of March. So it's an ongoing, it's, an ever, it's a living, breathing beast of an event, um, but it's great. We have, uh, I think, about 500 speakers, 230 sessions, um, and then a bunch of meetings and social funds, fun things that happen. Um, our social this year, just, just to give you a little inside scoop, we're having a drag queen show at this year's super conference, which we're very excited about. So that's one of, that's the biggest thing that we do, drag queen events. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do, um, we have other events that happen throughout the year. So for example, we're having on Monday a community-led think tank event, which is um, librarians who are involved with community engagement. And we're doing a full day on, uh, we're talking about overdose prevention. We're talking about reaching out to mental health organizations in your community. Uh, we spend a lot of, we give a lot of time for them to connect with each other at little round tables and talk about what's happening at their library. We also have a technology conference, which is called Digital Odyssey focuses on different technology topics every year. The one that just occurred was on makerspaces. It was the midlife crisis of makerspaces. <laughs> um, we do a reader's advisory conference. We do um, a library as place conference, which is essentially our space and architecture conference that happens in July. And that travels around the province. We go and we tour library spaces of different, from different sectors. We have architects and planners at that event. Um, so, we, yeah, we're always trying to pull in outside voices to help us with those. Okay, I'm looking at my calendar to see what else we do. Um, you, you, at the beginning, pronounced O-C-U-L-A, which is Okula, which is our academic university um, sector. They have a couple of events during the year which focus on different topics. This year, it was around the topic of diversity in hiring. Um, that's April, May, June, July. We have a marketing think tank that happens in August, which is all marketing topics. Um, and then we have our copyright symposium, which usually closes out the year in December. Um, and that every year focuses on various copyright issues that are happening across the country. Wow, and we thought we were busy. That's, that's impressive. That's I was going to say, hashtag overachiever. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. That's amazing. We do our best. I think we found the name of the episode, Chris. <laughs> yeah, the overachiever. <laughs> hashtag overachiever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. I'm down with that. Type A first child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, sometimes we name the episode and sometimes it just comes to, comes to us. So there we go. Yeah. Um, 
So when you have training events, do you see more younger librarians who are new to the profession attending, or do you see the established veterans? It depends on the event, and it's interesting how that happens. For example, the Library uh, Space and Architecture Conference has been attracting a lot of CEOs and leadership, which I guess makes sense because those are the people that are maybe engaged in that work the most. I'm not sure. Um, and then some of our other events, like the Reader's Advisory, the technology, there's more frontline people. It's always hard. I'm always looking for ways to attract the baby brarians, the people that are still in school. Um, and usually we try to do that with just like a student price so that, you know, hopefully they can attend. There are a number of, um, so here in Toronto, we have a library school, the iSchool at um, U Toronto, and then in London. So wherever we travel, we try to, you know, get students to come in at that as volunteers or with, you know, a low cost reg rate. Um, but that's my goal for the next year is to figure out, um, you know, how to engage more with those, um, those baby brarians. Baby so brarians. Cute. That is a great term. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's probably terribly condescending. I was going to say, yeah. A ton yeah. of hate mail after this. I, I, I apologize. I don't know how you're, yeah, I was saying, how do I work baby brarian into this? <laughs> but Don't make that the title. Yeah, let's not talk no, about it. No, we won't make that one the title now. No. <laughs> let's edit this whole part out. No, we don't edit much. No, we try not Sorry. to edit anything. Sorry, we try not to edit at all. Yeah, because it's it's more fun that way. So okay. let's get into it. What skills right. do you feel all librarians should know immediately? And I am so excited to hear your answers because okay. this is, Bob Bob knows this is like a, a, a it's thing It's a big for one for me. us, yeah. This is a thing. And I kind of, I was going to, I've debated, because um, all of these areas that I'm bringing up are areas that I find anyway, I was not trained about in library school and I don't know how much of this is happening right now but I see this as an ongoing issue with people that we're hiring here at OLA or just you know with people in our committees I will not name names as I go through this list um, so the first um, skill is managing humans and um, the dogs can fend for themselves um, managing humans is something that you get in sometimes a management class, although my management class focused more on like dealing with unions and um, like very basic management skills. The, the areas where I find we're really lacking conflict resolution. Most librarians are very averse, averse to <laughs> conflict and like to just deal with it very quickly and uh, often to the detriment of their staff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so conflict gets dealt with in a way that, um, you know, puts it under the rug, but doesn't air it out, doesn't give people um, a safe space to give voice to conflict or to work through it. So, um, yeah, I mean, space for conversation is an ongoing issue, but conflict resolution is a big one that I think people should know about. Uh, the other part that goes along with that are facilitation and collaboration skills which I know are kind of two different um, branches of the same tree. Facilitation, a lot of what we do is working with groups, working um, to get ideas out of people, especially if we're doing any kind of user experience thing or, you know, even if you have like a teen committee in your library or dealing with trustees and governments, uh, facilitation is such a key skill to have the ability to... Um, you know, just get a team to work collaboratively and to make sure the voices are all being heard and um, to make sure that you're 
working your way through a meeting with an objective and at the end kind of saying, okay, here's what we did. Here's a recap. Here's where everybody goes from here. Those are huge capital H skills that um, are hard to figure out. I'll, I'll give you that, like hard to teach, much easier to figure out on the fly, but are essential. And you need to figure that out and figure out some supports, whether it's that's through a mentor or, you know, a lynda.com. Is that an American thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. Cool. I wasn't sure if that was Canadian or not. Um, yeah, like some, <laughs> some there's got to be some way out there to, to get people practicing that and figuring it out. Um, I'm going to go to number two. Cool. No, that's, yeah. that's great. Right. I mean, Just I mean, it, through. yeah, sure. I mean, cause the facilitation and collaboration thing is something that I've embraced wholeheartedly. Um, and it works at my library, but it doesn't necessarily work at every library because you have to have the, the people, you have to get that level of engagement back. You know, you can't scream through yeah. an empty room. Absolutely. And any room, even if you've got the crankiest teenagers, the most under caffeinated trustees, you've got to figure out a way to get those people engaged in whatever the goal is of that day and, you know, to, to, to acknowledge if you're not engaged in this, it's just going to make this a miserable day. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. you know, like, get involved, follow the agenda, participate, and let's get through it, which takes me to number two, which is how to chair a meeting. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. We're, I mean, we know Libraryland is just rife with meetings. We love a meeting. We love pulling people together and uh, figuring stuff out. Where we're not so great is, you know, recognizing, oh, I have a meeting uh, next Wednesday. I should probably get an agenda out so people know what we're talking about. Um, I should maybe build a collaborative agenda. So if people want to add something to that, I can do it quickly in a Google Doc and they can add some notes or thoughts so that we're all kind of going in the same direction uh, with this meeting. Um, thinking about how you prepare for the meeting. So who's going to be in the room? If it's a new group and you don't know, um, I, it's, I will always, before I go in, if I'm invited into a meeting, I always ask who's going to be in the room. And then I just do, you know, some quick research. Who are they? Where are they coming from? Um, and maybe why are they there is sometimes a question you have to ask. That's a great question. Um, and then, you know, the whole taking minutes. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> somebody's got to do it. And I have many times recorded a meeting when I know that minutes aren't necessarily are, are sparse or, um, you know, where action items aren't being parsed out very discreetly um, so that I can go back and hear it later, which I heard someone said in your, in a recent pod of yours that they were working on um, like virtual meeting platforms and uh, letting people watch meetings after the fact. We actually do that with our technology meeting. We, um, we, we have something called the TIFF meeting, Technology Information Forum. Yes, and it's, that's uh, right. it's, a, it's a division. It's, there's, there's the Suffolk County Library Association, SCLA, and then there's a subgroup called CATS. It's Computer and Technical, Technical Services, Services Division of yeah. SCLA. And then TIFF is the branch from, from CATS. So instead of sitting and taking minutes and approving the minutes at the next meeting, we throw an iPad up on a tripod and we stream it on Facebook Live. Wow, brave. Well, yeah, not for me, but for everybody else who's talking. But the yeah, so far, it's been but, pretty good. But the interesting wow. thing is the level of engagement post-recording. So that mm -hmm. legacy of people going on later and watching it reaches, you know, if you have six people in a room and you have that meeting, only six people heard it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, who, let's be honest, who reads the minutes? Right? The day before the next meeting is when you read them. Right. And then everybody kind of browses through them, and then it's, it's a thing of the past, where now you can go onto the, the TIFF Facebook page and watch any of the meetings that you want. You know, That's amazing. So it just works. It's simple. Kudos. It works. And it makes it people can watch it while it's happening or they can watch it in post. So sometimes we have 100 people watch it after. Sometimes we have 600 people watch it after. Wow. It's just, it just makes sense. Because, I mean, yeah. if we're talking digital, why are we taking hand notes and typing up minutes? True. True. Yeah. And that's another, you know, if you're chairing a meeting, you've got to know your group. You've got to know who's in the room. Yep. Uh, I have, I, I chair a number of different committees um and i just know if they're you know if if the majority of that group isn't tech savvy forcing them to do a google hangout is torture (laughs) see that's why we do facebook because most people know how to use facebook so it it just works but yeah google google docs are people who you know are stuck in word it's Mm -hmm. it's hysterical to see them flounder yeah not that i want to but you know it happens Chairing a meeting is one of those things where um, people get thrown into and then one of the things that I would encourage uh, librarians to think about is when you're chairing a meeting, it's totally okay to say, you know what, we don't have to meet this time. Nothing's on the agenda. Let's push this one. Because so often I have committees, oh, well, there's a meeting on the schedule, so we'll just get together and then we'll figure out, no, you are not getting into that room if you do not have an, a goal identified and, you know, some potential outcomes from that. If, if you don't have an idea of what you need to talk about and what you need to get out of the people in that meeting, jump ship, get out of there. Because if I go to a meeting and I sit down and there's no agenda, oh, I want to leave immediately. Yeah, that gets rough real quick. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was number two. Number three is another, it's kind of a weird one, but along with managing humans, you need to think a lot about managing up. So managing the person who manages you. And uh, this is one that I, I am pretty open with my team to say, um, tell me what you need. And I'm very open when people start working here to say, this is how I function. Um, We need to have collaborative to-do lists. I need to be able to see what you're up to. You can see what I'm up to. Um, But we need to be able to, you know, have a conversation, not necessarily in the office. Um, So that they're prepared for that kind of thing. They know we meet monthly to go over their performance goals. Um, They know how to get a hold of me. Uh, They know when is there an open or a closed door situation? And I know for my executive director, you know, when she needs to know things and when I just need to get something done. Like there are times, you know, where she doesn't need to know the details of what's happening. And she's even said, uh, when I first started here, there was a bit of a culture like popping, popping heads in to say, I have a dentist appointment. Is it okay this day? And my idea was kind of like, put it in your calendar do what you have to do. I don't need to know. I don't need to okay. And I love, that's the fav- my favorite part about nonprofit life is uh, <laughs> you can kind of make those decisions and calls and there's not like a seniority issue or, well, you had three hours off last week. So maybe this week you got to stay at your desk. <laughs> that's um, a great impersonation of commercial, commercial work. <laughs> that was great. That was terrific. <laughs> but yeah, manage up, figure out what the person who manages you needs and wants and what their expectations are in terms of communication. It will make your life so much easier. And I think there's a lot of managers that never get asked that question. Like the people they're managing never say, 
What do you want from me to make your job easier? Acknowledge that because that is what we do. I work to make my executive director's life easier. <laughs> Everything I do feeds into what she reports to the board and, um, and that's the reality. So, uh, yeah, that's... Well, don't you think that it... I mean, this is something and it's not a strategy that I really need to employ at work, but isn't it easier instead of going into the boss and going, um, uh, boss, is it okay if I go and take an iPad and do this and do that as opposed to writing it up, making it a complete package, and say, here's the plan. Oh, so, my God. You're so, reading my mind. So you've already made the decision. This is a Jedi mind trick thing. You've made the decision. You've handed <laughs> it to the director. It's a lot easier for the director or your superior to edit something you've already done because if they're just editing it, you already got it. As you opposed know, Chris, to waiting for them, instead of waiting for them to... <laughs> Okay, well, what is this consideration? What is that consideration? Put it all yeah. in there. This feeds perfectly. It's as if you have my script in front of you. It feeds perfectly into number four. <laughs> Look at I'm that. I'm nodding my head vociferously like a bobblehead. Yeah. <laughs> um, project management is my next skill. So how do you pitch a project? How do you see it all the way through? How do you ensure you know, you know what you're building before you build it looks like? And then how are you planning and executing that and then the far end, how are you um, measuring that project or that service or tool or whatever? Because that gets lost. Oh, it, my god! If gosh. it's an ongoing project and it doesn't have an end date and it's something like a new department or something like that, you still have to kind of keep the ball rolling. Maybe, like you said before, you don't need to meet every month because there isn't something to discuss every month. Yeah. But you still have to have, you still have, to have that meeting eventually. And you have to reevaluate, reevaluate, then reevaluate, reevaluate. Well, what does success look like? That's the important question. I interviewed someone recently who was talking about a program they initiated in their library. It was a teen program. And our, my question was, was it successful? And she, and she was kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. What was, <laughs> yep. Like, what? <laughs> There's the quantifier right there. How do you quantify? Yep. yep. <laughs> um, and so I asked, you know, what was your quantifier for success? And she couldn't answer. She was like, well, you know, 17 showed up, which was more than the last time. Cool. Great. I, I, for sure, attendance numbers, great, you know, hard measurable. But is that it? Or, you know, are you also looking to maybe get more people engaged in a certain area of the library or a certain collection, give more profile? Um, is there even a bigger outcome from that? that ties in with the greater community, like, um, I mean, this is huge, but, you know, dropout rates or, um, you know, just, uh, there's just a little thought I think is, is given or not enough thought is given to what is that outcome? Is it measurable? And maybe sometimes it isn't, but you, you just need to go in knowing that because if it's not successful, stop doing it. Why, why keep, you know, that busy work is our death, well, so, you realize that that, bu that folds into the, the worst, dirtiest words you can ever say in a library. But that's the way we've always done it. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. So that's my number four, project management. Um, my number five is teaching and presentation skills. Um, we were talking about this a lot recently with our academic librarians because so many academics have talked about... Um, not realizing going in how much they actually have to teach and how much they're talking. <laughs> um, I actually, last year, 
met with a vocal coach um, for a couple of months, not really because of work. Uh, it was because my daughter, who is now six, I was doing more like bedtime stories and I realized my voice was getting really, like I could only do a story. Um, and I wanted to get better at things like vocal fry, things just like how to support my voice better. And it was fantastic. I put it up on Twitter. There was so much engagement with that idea of how so many librarians could make use of that kind of skill. And so, you know, we're working on developing that now into a program where people can take some more um, training to figure out the best ways to teach and the best ways to present. And uh, really the only way to do it is to do it, uh, to get out and practice in a room at, uh, what's that, I'm going to say, what's that terrible group? Toastmasters. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry to all those Toastmasters out there. Um, but, you know, like getting out in front of a group, talking, figuring out how to storytell, which plays into my next point of marketing, um, you know, how to be engaging to an audience. If you're going to climb the ladder of library land to a leadership position, which I'm not saying you have to, but if you do, your job is essentially to be always selling the library. You're talking to the mayor, you're talking to your Uber driver, you're talking to your kid's teacher, someone in the community, always selling the library, always telling them or, or connecting dots with, um, oh, did you know if you're doing this, did you know you can do that at the library? Oh, you're starting a podcast in the school? Did you know there's actually a podcast studio in the library? Oh, the, the, uh, you know, the town is interested in uh, a farmer's market. Did you know the library has a great outdoor space where we could actually hold a farmer's market? Those connections are vital. And a big part of that is being able to tell an engaging story quickly, grabbing people. Um, you know, I hate the like elevator pitch idea, but it sounds so businessy. Um, but it really is an important concept because you have... I don't even I don't even know the stat, but I just heard Wendy Newman speak about this. I feel like it's seven seconds. You have seven seconds to get somebody and to say, why is this important before they wander off to something else? It's probably going to become even less as people, you know, get more ADD with technology. Um, but yeah, teaching, presentation, storytelling skills, all very important to uh, to surviving library land. That makes sense because I think they say like uh, when you do website development, you have a total of eight seconds to engage the user or else they're going to leave. Yeah. It's and terrifying. every click, every click after that, I think they said you have three, you know, so if they click a, a secondary page on your website, you have three seconds to, to find their, their secondary target or else they're going to go back and, and go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. And especially you could, because what we're fighting against are the stereotypes so I was just talking with the CEO the other day about how, uh, you know, when she goes into a board um, or a town council meeting and they introduce the library, everyone's like, oh, the library's here. It's so cute. You know, like, yeah. like well, what's the newest release out? Oh, my God. And, you know, and she's got to kind of fight that to get them thinking more inclusively about what the library means to the community. So it's an ongoing battle. Exactly. And I know what you mean about that seven seconds, because last night I did some outreach. Uh, um, we went to all the elementary schools in the district um, because they're not all of them. We're going to all of them, but they were the open house nights, get you know, back to school, meet the teacher night. And so the library had a table at the, and I was at this one particular elementary school. And you literally have seven seconds is being generous. It's more like four or five because, you know, they're looking up from their phone yeah. and you have to get their attention and give them the pitch. 
and you either see their eyes roll over, they walk away, they don't engage, or they engage, and you get lucky and you engage. So you're totally right with that seven seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's a scary amount of, it's a, you know, a quick amount of time and it takes some practice to get good at a pitch that has to come that quickly and it takes concentration. And the other thing it takes is knowing your audience, who you're talking to, um, because to basically to get their, them engaged in seven seconds, you have to know what's most important to them. What are they making decisions based on? What, um, you know, what's the live or die for them? You're talking to students, you need to know that they're most focused or concentrated on that paper or that project, right? So if you're going to, if they need that database for that paper and you're getting into like, um, I don't even know, like, you know, the library has uh, a knitting hour at 10 a.m. for stress relief. I mean, great, sure, love it. Love all the mental health considerations, but don't open with that. (laughs) (laughs) And then engage right off the bat with the thing that matters the most. You might as well come in with a shawl and your glasses on a chain. No offense to the shawl and glasses wearers. Correct. You know, know, Chris, you could could try that opener with the mechanics that come in Sachem or the mechanics that come in, in Emma. And they're looking for the you know the all data subscription. And they're right. like, where do I get to a computer and how can I print out this schematic? You, well, they have a knitting class in about an hour and a half. If you yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe there's some mechanics out there that are really into <laughs> knitting uh, as a side gig. I haven't met any yet, but probably, yeah. They should be, is all I'm saying. Toxic masculinity is a thing that can be solved by knitting. Right. This episode, <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that was kind of, I kind of pulled in some like marketing stuff there as well. But my last thing that I think people should know about is budgeting. People get very scared of budgeting. Personally and professionally, I think um, I am a self-professed. Um, I hate. I hated talking about budgets. I should say, I've become more comfortable with it because I have to. It's the reality of my job. I can't ignore it. I tried that a couple of years ago, and it went disastrously. So, um, yeah, you have to figure out. Um, and and you know, I suggest starting small scale. Just start yourself. Download the Mint app. Use an old school abacus, whatever you need. Um, <laughs> just figure out what's coming in, what's going out. And, um, and that's, the, that's really it. I mean, it's a pretty basic uh, situation in most libraries, unless, you know, you're dealing with the, the very top end of the budget where you're negotiating with, with towns and that. But the basics for running programs and services, um, you know, you need to know where's the money coming from? How much do I have? How much can I spend? Is there flexibility in that? Um, I think becoming comfortable with budgeting tools is a pretty great skill to have because it translates pretty well on the job to most um, human resources like financial tools. I just use an Excel spreadsheet for the most part uh, professionally. And now I'm using more Google uh, Sheets because I'm trying to share more of the budgets with the committees we're working with. Um, Because what I find is uh, a lot of the people I work with, a lot of the committees, they just kind of will be like, well, let's just find the money. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because there's a blanket somewhere in the back there. You have, you know, bands of cash. Yeah, there's a money tree and we can just pluck some hundreds off the money tree. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Excel because I can't imagine because the the budget that, that I have to manage I could not imagine not having something that does the math for you. Mm. Could you imagine sitting there with a ledger book saying, well, today we spent $39 on batteries, 
39 subtracted from blah, 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 and my bottom line is now here. And yeah. Are you no. kidding me? Seriously? So it's like you said before, start with Excel. I started with Excel, transition to Sheets, because if, I get a, if I'm home and I get a, you know, somebody's working a night shift, I said, we need to buy three robots. Three ro robots just died. Can we do it? Well, let me take a look. I pull it right yeah. on my phone or my iPad or whatever device I'm using at the time. Okay, give me a copy of the PO in the morning, submit the PO, and we will deduct it from the budget. That right. way you can do it real time on the fly and you're not bound and tethered to the desk. Yeah. Excel formulas are your best friend. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, Excel is your best friend. Who's kidding who? You're true. Huh. It's very true. Everyone, I shouldn't say that. I used to um, have a question when I was hiring, which was, um, what's the thing you least like to do? And I left it pretty open. Like, I didn't say on the job. People said some weird things. But one person uh, said Excel spreadsheets. She hated doing them. And my immediate reaction was, do not hire. <laughs> um, she's, she's now worked here for six years. And she handles oh, all wow. of the money things. <laughs> really? Wow. And I get it. I get that instinct to want to hate it because there's not one way to use it. And there's so many ways to, you know, use formulas, use uh, different shortcuts in that with Excel, but it's all to make your life so much easier. Exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, do some, do some webinars, play around on your own, practice with different things. Just search for templates. Yeah, search for templates. Don't exactly. stare at a blank screen and go, oh no, what do I do? Did there are so else? many beautiful templates, you're yeah. right. Absolutely. You just input and plug and play, and then you kind of fiddle with the formulas to make it work for you. You don't have to. I have long, I've long toyed with the idea of giving an award for best Excel spreadsheet. That's Ooh, a great idea. That is great. Then I have one to share with you. Oh, yeah? Oh, God. It's a nightmare, oh, but it's beautiful. We have a spreadsheet for Super Conference, um, which is our logistical on-site spreadsheet, which has all of the information that we need. It's about, I think it's 17 pages uh, it's a 17-inch wide document, and w it's double-sided. It's intense. Everything is there, though. And we call it the Unicorn, capital T, capital U, the wow. Unicorn. Nice. Dot XLS. Chris, I don't think you have anything on the super spreadsheet, i got to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I got a good one, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that It's not level. super. You yeah. don't know if it's unicorn-worthy? Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's so that's scary. it. Those are my big, uh, I don't even know if that it may have been six and not five, but those are the big things that I see people struggling with in library land. Um, the things that I have to do the most training around when people uh, come cold into committees or even don't come cold. Even, you know, people who have been doing this gig for 20 plus years are still, you know, a little bit clueless about how to chair a meeting or the logistic. When I joined the board of OLA, um, I remember being sent a consent agenda and having no idea. And not even knowing until I joined the staff, oh, you're supposed to read that before you get to the meeting. Got it. <laughs> Nobody really told me, um, you know, this is, this is how you uh, interact with meeting documents. And now we train everybody on their first board meeting at OLA. We do a training, which is here's what to expect. Here's the docs you're going to get when you come in. And here's, you know, what the expectations are from you in terms of how to interact with them. Wow, sense. that is something else. Okay. We're pretty good. I think we're ready to move on to the next question. 
I, you know what? And I love the path that we're going down too, because yeah. this is um, this is going to be great for our listeners and great for Chris and I as well. So, what is your greatest frustration uh, level with librarians who either think they don't need training in these new skills or quite outright refuse? Because we all absolutely know someone on their staff that thinks all this new technology is just a fad, and libraries should refocus on the books. This is a trick question. <laughs> it is absolutely. Um, my greatest frustration. I mean, I'm not going to say, because I don't find this happens that much, actually. I don't find that there are people who flat out say, I don't need to learn that. Um, there are some which people who are, you know, higher up in the leadership uh, ladder who will say, oh, let's send the new person to this, um, which can be frustrating because then I don't know if that new person is able to communicate that up the ladder again, right? So I don't know if it's going to make any change. Um, but my greatest frustration level really comes from not finding librarians who want to toot their own horn. There are, we do, you know, award nominations next month, and I'm always looking for um, libraries to talk about different, you know, like we just talked about um, makerspaces and frustrations people are having with makerspaces or cool new things people are doing with makerspaces. And I have to do so much research and just connecting with people, you know, making sure I'm uh, using all of my social platforms and networks just to find out what people are doing and, and doing well in library land to get them to share it. They're totally cool with sharing it, but um, yeah, finding out what people are doing and who people, which, you know, who's doing the, the newest things or different things or uh, experimenting with something that then went awry. It's interesting, you know, there's so many platforms for us to communicate on, but there's not a good one for lessons learned. And, um, and that's another frustration that I have. Um, OLA is working right now on a new platform to get our members to talk more to each other and to learn more from each other. Right now we're using Slack for some of that. Um, but that also requires people to kind of like prod the conversation along. So that's my greatest frustration is just um, finding out what people are up to and, and, um, and, and encouraging them to speak about it. And at the same time, kind of being like, you realize like you're the only ones doing this you realize this is amazing, right? And they kind of, what? No. So, you know, that kind of thing is just, you know, bumping them up and getting them to talk about it is, is something that I focus on a lot. Well, it's funny that you say that because um, I get a lot of ribbing on this podcast and from my colleagues when we go to the TIFF meetings when I talk about uh, the Sage and Public Library where I, where I work and the different things that we're doing. Um, it, it's become a bit of a joke. And in fact, in one episode, um, I mentioned Sachem so many times they turned it into the Sage and Public Library drinking game. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it, I, and you know what? I see that as the sincerest form of flattery because I love where I work and I love telling people the things that we're doing because mm -hmm. you know what? It's not bragging. It's letting other people know they can do it too. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't take a billion dollars to do. And what's nice is we've had libraries come to see what we're doing. And it's mm -hmm. nice to see that they've taken something from that and they're doing it with their own spin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people are like, oh, Chris is talking again. And <laughs> And it's about, it's never about self-promotion. It's about sharing with your colleagues because we're not in competition with each other. This isn't a business environment. We're all nonprofits and we're all trying to do the same thing. Whether mm -hmm. you're across the county in Suffolk County, whether you, you're in Nassau County, 
whether you're in Ontario, whether you're in New South Wales, or you're in Auckland, New Zealand, or, or London, or any place else, we're all doing the same thing. So mm -hmm. if we can share and collaborate what we're doing, again, one of those skills that you need to have, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the whole idea of self-promotion, but not in a flamboyant look at me, I'm the best in the world and you guys are all crap kind of thing. If you look at us because you're going to learn something here. And then when we sit together and talk, maybe you're doing something that I don't know about and I can learn from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're talking self-promotion, it's always under the flag of collaboration and not in the look at me, we're the best. Because nobody's Absolutely. the best. Everybody does something different because we serve different communities. Mm -hmm. And I think hand in hand with that is the discussing failures. Um, we've had a session at Superconference for the past few years, which was uh, like a fail panel where um, people could come up and just talk about something that, that went terribly wrong. And, um, and that is so, I mean, cathartic, first of all. Um, honest, brave, and also just gets people across or over that hump of, well, I don't even know if I should try because it's probably not going to work. You know, like it just gets them thinking more innovatively, thinking, oh, sorry, I said the I word. Um, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> thinking, out, oh, here I go again, outside the box, blue sky thinking. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just try stuff, throw it at the wall, see if it sticks. That's my philosophy. What's you know what's great about that is it breaks all the barriers down, right? So, I mean, there's a whole group of people that have this unrealistic fear that they can't do it exactly um, it's great for somebody else but it's not going to work for us and it won't work for us because we've never done it that way maybe or it won't work for us because i might fail or the or the team i'm leading might fail um and they don't understand the idea of failing forward like chris and i've talked about with many of our our, our uh you know our guests on here and mm -hmm. and that's really it's a great way i love the fail panel because it's a fantastic way to break down those barriers and say listen you know, we failed five times and on the sixth time we made it big, you know? Yeah, well. absolutely. And then you have those lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. I agree. So tell us what your hopes are for the profession moving forward. For the profession of librarianship? Sure. Um, I think my hopes are some of the things that we talked about today, which was, you know, the storytelling angle, the... Um, the engagement, the getting outside the library. I think my hopes are across the board. I do a lot of, I, I talk a lot specifically about public libraries because the majority of our membership is from public library land. But for all sectors, getting outside the library, making connections and finding out how the library fits into the goals of that broader community, that I, I think, I hope is where everyone's headed and what is essential for the survival of capital L libraries or whatever the hell you want to call yourself. Um, like, I don't care. If you're <laughs> Frankly, I, I, I hate when people don't use the L word because, um, because then what are you saying about the L word? Like, you know, take that word and run with it and make it a thing that is important to your community. Um, so yeah, so I hope if you're in an academic library, you're finding out what are the goals of your faculty? What are the goals of your students? How are you helping to, you know, increase student enrollment, student graduation rates? You know, all of those things, uh, helping professors with their research platforms, getting published. If you're in a school library, how are you helping the kids in that school with their learning goals? How are you helping the teachers uh, to support their curriculum? The 
pr the principles. I don't even know what principles do, but you know, doing principal stuff. Um, uh, you know, like advocating for what the library can do because it's not just books in a room, which I know we all knew, know this. I'm preaching to the choir, but if it's not just books in a room, figure out what it is and uh, and how it fits into those bigger things because, you know opening up, taking a closet and renovating it into a makerspace and putting a 3D printer in it is all great. You can put it in your annual report. You can put some cool tweet up about it. But what is that meaning to your broader community? What are they doing with that? Is it because there's like a manufacturing, uh, you know, is, is, is a manufacturing important to the employment of your community? So you want to teach some new skills there? You know, are there robotics programs because you want to build up a, a college program or something? You know, just thinking more strategically about how the library fits into things. I mentioned previously the farmer's market scenario, which is something that happened here in Ontario at Innisfil Public Library. The Innisfil CEO is my all-time hero. Her name is Susan Downs. She's retiring now, actually. She has very strong connections with her city um, government. And she volunteered the space for the farmer's market. And now the library manages the market. They manage all of the marketing and communications. And it happens outside the library. And it brings the community, which is a farming community, to the library proper, to that geographical space. And it's fantastic. She's figured out a way to take a service that's essential to that community and make the library a part of that service. And that, I think, is the key. Well, that's a really good point because, you know, Libraries are not what they were before. Yes, we still have books. We still have DVDs and videos and CDs. But we're so much more than that now. And, and we actually had discussions about this in previous episodes about, you know, is the word library an antiquated word? And it, 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 for a while I was on the fence. And then I forget which guest it was. But they said, why would you throw that word to the, into the dumpster when it's got its own built-in branding? And the beauty of it is kids who are now in elementary school will not see the library as a place you get books. It's gonna, they're gonna, when they grow up, that's that 10, 15-year generational cycle, mm -hmm. they're going to see it's the place where the 3D printers are. It's where they do the engraving. It's where they do, you know, they have these great music programs. It's where the community space, just a, a space to go and hang out. Exactly. So if you were to, if you were to go back to like, I don't know, I'm going to pick a date, 1978, and go to a director who was, you know, directing in 1978 and say, well, they want to do a farmer's market here. They'll say, we do books. Yeah, exactly. So, hmm. and that whole mentality from people who, from, from our generation and going older, that's still kind of a mindset thing. But as you go, you know, under 40, that mindset is completely different. So taking so. that branding of the word library and maybe you know adding something like a community center and or something mm -hmm. else you can't you, Madison Avenue would die for that kind of you know name recognition mm -hmm. no. absolutely it, it i'm with you i'm team library all right <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag #team library yeah so why don't we take a quick break because um this was all great, by the way. Thank you for sharing all these experiences and coming on with us today. Thank you. Um, but let's take a quick break because when we come back, we are going to ask Michelle our top 10 library questions or what we like to call the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And as always, we have to give credit. Credit is due to Melanie Cardone from the Long Republic Library over in Middle Island, New York, for naming the list of questions that we ask all our guests. So we'll be back in just a moment.
And we are back with Michelle Arbuckle, who will, who will be our next participant in our 032 list. The Oof. questions in our list, <laughs> sorry, Michelle, uh, the questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to Libraryland. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. And visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. Okay, so these questions may not necessarily apply to what you do at the OLA, but we're going to do our best. So I'm going to make them apply. All right, you do Perfect. that. I like that. That's called thinking on your feet. <laughs> that's a leadership skill. <laughs> the leadership Check skill. Out my LinkedIn. I'm going to put it right there. Nice. So, what did you want to be when you were a child? Um, okay, this is terrible um, because I just wanted to be the boss. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can tell from this pod my personality. I, I'm not a very. Um, <laughs> I'm a very strong, um, opinionated person. Let's say that. I was going to say you were shy and laid back. You know, I'm a, yeah. I'm a wallflower. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I always, whenever I was doing things as a kid, I always had to be in charge, which, you know, I was for sure an OG bossy pants. Um, and my daughter is now as well. I am breeding a new bossy pants for the next generation. Uh, I wanted to be so many things, a teacher. Uh, I wanted to be an obstetrician at one point, which I think this does not age well, but I think because of the Cosby show, um, <laughs> So yeah, I wanted to, I, when I was a child, I was actually a child actor. So I wanted to be an entertainer for a while and, you know, get into the acting, but then I got acne and did not want to go anywhere near a camera. Um, yeah. So I've always just had this natural inclination to whatever I was doing. I wanted to have a voice in the direction of that thing. And um, I wanted to work, you know, a boss implies there are other people that I am bossing around. But really, I think what that means is I wanted to work with people and I wanted to have a voice to direct whatever the thing was that we were engaged with. So, Michelle, what, what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Um, my first memory of a library was my hometown, which was uh, Grimsby, Ontario. Shout out GSS. Uh, Grimsby Public Library, a Carnegie library. And uh, I have no recollection of who took me there. I'm assuming my parents, but really I've rewritten my own biography to uh, basically just remove them. Uh, <laughs> I was flying solo pre-12 years old, I'm going to say. Uh, probably my mom did. Someone drove me there because we couldn't walk there. Uh, yeah, I used to go hang out in the section of books that were too old for me. I famously did a grade seven book report on the Danielle Steele novel, Message from Nam. Really? <laughs> it was a erotic love story that my grade seven teacher was not prepared for. <laughs> I'm sure. That's wow. Funny. That's right. It's telling. I used to write inside the books at Grimsby Public. So after I got one out, I would write like in the back or in the inside cover, like a review. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Grimsby Public Library. <laughs> I was in, it was an early um, uh, template for Goodreads. I, I was hoping other people would pick up on this trend and just start defacing library books. But anyway, that's what I used to do. So the library police didn't come and knock in? No, they didn't. Ooh, you're lucky. Not yet. Now they will. Not yet, totally. Yeah. <laughs> What's the statute of limitations in Ontario for that? <laughs> they'll, they'll change it just to just. I am to not a legal librarian. I don't know. <laughs> so when did you decide to work in a library? And if not... Um, what was your first career path? Because many librarians and staff choose the profession as a second career. So my undergrad, as I mentioned, was in uh, music. And I was in a 
a small-ish town in Ontario called Waterloo. There's two universities there. Um, and as a university student, I got a job in my second year at the library. Uh, I worked in GovDocs. One summer, I moved the entire GovDocs collection. It was intense. Um, so I was doing that. And then I was also uh, doing musicology research. And I was a terrible, I was terrible at it. I was a terrible musician as well, just FYI. Um, but I did great um, references. Like the references at the end of my, my paper, um, my bibliographies were amazing, stellar. And my thesis advisor on one of my papers wrote, great biography, uh, bibliography, not biography, sorry. Great bibliography, you should be a librarian. And I was like, oh, what? is that a thing I can do? <laughs> and so I remember going to the librarian on the reference desk and being like, tell me about this job. Do you get paid? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then it kind of flew from there. So I had, I worked at the university library for the duration of my degree to the point that my last year of university, I was actually a staff. Like I wasn't a student position. I, I got hired as part of the ILL team and um, I got a cut on my tuition because I was technically university staff, which was great. And uh, and then right out of that, I went on to do my master's degree uh, the year after I graduated. That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. She sounds like a lifer, Bob. Yeah, we are very glad that you made that decision. Yeah. Thank you. So who would you say is your favorite fictional librarian? I hate all fictional librarians. <laughs> so you don't have surprised. a favorite one then, is that right? I hate them. I don't like any of them. They're all insipid and I find them to be weak and built on stereotypes that are shameful. I don't like people wearing tweed. I don't like, you know, the constant glasses and the glasses strings. I don't like any of them. They're all, I mean, you know, if, if I, the best I can do with this question, there are two fictional characters that I wish were librarians. One, Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. She is amazing. She has all of the answers. She helps. I shouldn't say that. She doesn't have all the answers. She helps people find answers. She, you know, helps them experience a something, you know, takes them into the human body to find out what the, what's making them have a cold. Um, I think she is a great representative. Also, let's face it, Miss Frizzle has a librarian's wardrobe. Um, and my second one that I really like is Janet from The Good Place. I don't know if you watch The Good Place. It's a Mike Schur show. <laughs> On NBC, I know she's a robot. Spoiler alert. No, it's not a spoiler. Um, but she is such a good character. And she likewise, she's kind of like the Siri of the show, but better. Um, she has answers. She helps people solve problems. She is empathetic. She's growing as a robot. Um, yeah, so those two people <laughs> I wish. I wish that we could say that they had an endless in their background and that they've run with that background to find a niche for themselves. That's a first. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, we love firsts. Okay, good. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a quote-unquote library or library in library land? How about that? Um, if I was not working in library land, the thing I would love to do, and which I always have huge envy of, are graphic designers. I love graphic designers. I go to the graphic design conference here just like for giggles. Um, I love the way they think. They have fantastic eyewear. They're very fashionable. I love their vendors. 
it's, I love all things graphic design. I'm terrible at it, to be clear. Uh, I use Canva for most things. The other job, which I didn't know was a job, but I think I would have been really good at, again, because of the bossy pants angle, is like a TV producer or like, you know, like the on, when you're on set, like the people on the floor, like going like camera one, move to this guy, uh, go in a commercial. The person who does that job. That's a bossy pants, all right. I love that job. It's such a good job. <laughs> and essentially, the more I find out, I've been listening to a couple podcasts that talk about um, different roles in media, like what is a producer, what is a director, what's a set designer, all these things. Essentially, what I do in this job is I'm a producer for um, librarian education. Like I help find out what's the segment we want to produce, who can speak to that segment, um, and, and what's the best way to get a person to talk about a segment. You know, like, um, I just, I really like that angle of, of always thinking about what is a current issue of the day and how can we get people engaged in that issue. Wow. Cut. Speechless. Cut. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic dro don't drop the mics. They're very expensive. That's right. And if you do, pick it up. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you say is your favorite section of the library my favorite section is the entrance i ah, love the entrances of libraries um i like experiencing because i think i go into a lot of of different libraries for different reasons um not just in toronto and and seeing what is the most important thing that that library wants you to see when you walk in is fascinating to me because um, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's horrifying. Uh, sometimes it's a bathroom, whatever. <laughs> um, but I really like, I went to visit a couple years ago when I was at PLA in Denver. Um, there is a system, the Anything Library System, just north of Denver. Um, and they are fantastic. Their libraries, the sight lines in their libraries, they have um, these structures inside that mimic like giant trees. They have uh, this lighting that works with natural sunlight that comes through almost like a pot light. Um, they've got fireplaces. It's just, it's it, the setup of it, of it is fantastic. And it's not focused on a rack of books. There's a sight line that you can see all the way across the library. So if you were looking, you know, for your partner or another staff member or something, you wouldn't have to like go up and down aisles looking for them. You can literally just look across the library. And I love that. I love a good entrance. Great answer. That is a great answer. So if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Okay. So I'm going to take this in the direction of what would I add to my association? Sounds good. Um, the first thing I would do is give everyone a raise. <laughs> My colleagues are applauding me because, as I said, nonprofits notoriously underpaid. I would also give everyone an office because I hate open office environments. Um, I have only had an office here for about a year, and it's just it's amazing. Just, you know, everyone can actually still hear me right now. Like the walls aren't soundproof, um, but the ability to close a door and if you need a minute or, you know, to call your doctor or your kid's school or something, I just find it so important. And it's, I find it very disappointing that so many organizations are getting rid of walls because sometimes walls are needed. Um, I'd also add food and other perks to <laughs> this work environment because I'm always jealous of nonprofits or not, not nonprofits of startups. 
and um, you know, popcorn Fridays or whatever the hell they're doing. That <laughs> so I like can, that. Can you expand a little bit on the on the on this? Is just because I'd love to know, and I think our listeners would too. Um, on the on the open office platform versus uh, the kind of um, having a closed office, because a lot of libraries, I mean, not just libraries, they're going to the open platform and they want to be. They say it it enables them to collaborate more. But all I've heard from people that we know in library land is that they hate being forced to be in that environment. So do you mean a, the digital platform open office or do you mean the physical space? No, like physical space. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hate it. Uh, I feel like everyone hates it. Uh. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. It seems to be like this big thing in architecture and engineering and it's a great idea and I think it looks good. But when you talk to the staff members and you talk to the people, they, they just don't agree. They're being, I agree. For, they're being forced to do this unnatural yeah. Uh, you know, sharing, I guess it is, right? And the only time I think it really works, and then it doesn't even work. I, I recently toured the offices here in Toronto of Shopify. I don't mm. know if you know the Shopify platform, but their head offices here. And, uh, and they have like those long, beautiful, uh, you know, the resurfaced wood with all the Macs lined up side by side, um, mm. like a giant Mac farm. And really the only way anybody gets any work done is is to go deep into their own space with their, you know, their headsets on, blinders on, focused on, you know, programming or whatever they're doing. That's not the intention of that. The intention of that space, I assume, is, hey, Chris, can you get me this? But that doesn't happen in that space. That happens in the meeting rooms that you can book where you leave that space and you right. go to an enclosed walled off space. And those spaces, don't get me wrong, they're they're beautiful, they're great, they have a number of them. They're named after, uh, I think they're named after in Shopify, like Lord of the Rings spaces. There's like the Mordor room. Um, and, you know, great, have meeting spaces for sure. But I don't think, I think the intention of leadership in those spaces is to have people collaborating more. But in reality, that doesn't happen. In reality, people just get frustrated with somebody slurping their tea too loud. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the smell of their food or whatever. Or then yeah. you make up rules like you can't eat at your desk, which ugh, productivity mm. goes down. Right. I, I just I find it um, I find it a cheap way to set up a space, but not necessarily an efficient or, um, you know, a way that's going to get the most out of your employees. Yeah, I think exactly like you're mentioning, when, when you bring people together and you think it's going to cause collaboration, all it really seems to cause is they isolate themselves further. And they put headphones yeah. on or they put, right, you know, so they, they'd find ways to compartmentalize themselves. Absolutely. Uh, if, you yeah. want, if you want your staff to do more collaborative work, make collaborative spaces. Right. You know, put some couches in your, in your meeting rooms or, you know, set up a Friday afternoon, you know, beer and popcorn or something. Give them time and space for that. But don't expect that they're going to do that all day long, every day in their jobs. First of all, no, one's, no one has the energy to do that. At some point, you have to focus on, on a task and get that done. And that's very difficult to do when you're surrounded by, you know, chitter-chatter and slurping. We all need our personal space, right? That's the name of the pod, by the way, chitter-chatter and slurping. Chitter-chatter, yeah. Hashtag chitter-chatter. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to have the hashtag. So uh, leading up to our next 032 list question, what do you love about your library? Okay, again, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going off script. Right. Because I'm going to talk about what I love about my association. Association, yeah. Um, I love the variety 
that happens in this space. I love that we have, you know, the number of different people coming from different sectors that collaborate. Um, you know, next week we have our mentoring committee comes in, which is which talks about like career development and baby brarians and the training we're giving to them. Um, and they're all coming from special libraries, academic libraries, public libraries, um, school libraries. Actually, no, retract. There's no school library on that committee. Retract, but, delete. <laughs> but, um, you know, most of our committees, there is such a variety of people. Um, and I, that's that's really the best thing about this this association, the work that we do here, the work that we do at our conference, what we hear every year. You know, we always want to know, we always want to get the data which session was the most uh, well-received or which speaker did people like the most? And sure, that's important. But what always comes out in the evaluation is, I ran into this person in the hallway. I ran into somebody I haven't seen since library school. Um, you know, it's the hallway interactions that that people remember that they're there for. And I just, I really like enabling those connections and and helping people find find each other. Yeah. I'm like a matchmaker. I like being a matchmaker. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> so what's the weirdest thing, not necessarily worst, the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library experience? Let's say that. Yes, in my fill in the blank. Um, okay, so this is an association-related answer. Um, here, OLA, we're in the heart of the financial district in Toronto at Young and King uh, downtown. And, you know, on Google Maps, when you look at your space, sometimes they're a little bit out of date. We've, we've been in this office now for five years. Uh, and a couple of years ago, we realized that uh, what was identified in this building on this floor was not our association. It was something very different. It was a um, male entertainment agency, male dancer, male erotic dancer. <laughs> Wow. Am I being specific enough? Yeah. Um, That's pretty close. <laughs> and we had a gentleman. Th this does happen all the time now. People come to the office assuming it's a library and like they have their Toronto Public Library book and they want to bring it back. And we're like, no, just because we have that word in our name doesn't mean we're a library. Um, and they're usually fine. They, we send them to the closest branch. But this guy thought we were a male erotic dancing agency. And he came here looking to hire a male erotic dancer for his mother for her birthday. Um, and like, and she was downstairs. Like, I don't really understand. I, I'm still unclear on his motivation. Like he thought the agency was just going to on demand have dancers. Oh, um, and he was going to bring that dancer somewhere to dance for his mother. Um, it's a strange story, but I love uh, one of my colleagues uh, just left here a couple weeks ago and in his exit interview he brought up that moment which I had blocked from my memory it's the weirdest thing that's ever happened um, it was also you know we were riveted by the story for days it's all the staff could talk about and then of course it made us quickly get in touch with Google to change that information on Google Maps <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um, so again making this apply to your association experience uh, so instead of saying, who is your favorite regular patron, would you say, who is your favorite regular association member? Yeah, again, nothing <laughs> Something like that? answering that question. But <laughs> what I will say is um, my favorite um, team that comes in that I work with 
and I'm, I apologize to all the other teams because they're all amazing, obviously, but I get the most energized by our teacher librarian uh, division, which is called OSLA, Ontario School Libraries. Um, and they, for the most part, are teacher librarians or library technicians that work in schools. And um, it's just, an, they're meeting on Saturday. I have to work on Saturday to attend their meeting, but it is worth it because they're so jazzed they're giving up their Saturday to come in and do this because of course teachers can't give any time Monday to Friday or we'd have to pay for coverage for them to leave their school. Um, so they give up their Saturday, they come in, they're the most motivated group of people. You know, some committees you go into and it's kind of like, oh, where are we with that project? Like, do we still have to do that? Is that still a thing on the books? You know, it's kind of a drag. This team is very like, <laughs> every meeting comes with like, four new projects out of the minutes. You know, people are uh, recommending things that we that OLA should be involved with or should do. And, and not just recommending it, like the members of that committee, the councillors are signing up. They're, they're volunteering to take the lead on projects and to follow up with outside organizations. And they're just a really energizing team. I applaud their um, commitment and um, their volunteerism. And they're just, they're just a fantastic group. So shout out to OSLA. They are my favorite committee to deal with. Okay, so our last question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Oh, man. I really liked um, Brian Pitchman's answer to this, which was just the library. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. And then that was it. I, was like, I mean, okay. he's right. He's right. I was going to even say something like, oh, it's such a pretty library card. Because there's some pretty cards out there, you know. Um, but I, I insist to my cohort, to my neighbors, to my fellow parents, because um, and I shouldn't say that. Parents, especially of younger kids, are often going to the library for story time, reading readiness, you know, different programs with their kids. It's my group of friends who have never had kids or, um, you know, they're not there yet in their lives. And like the, the younger, like the 20 and 30 year olds. Yeah, that's right. I have 20 and 30 year old friends. Congratulations to me. Um, <laughs> but what I always say to them is, how much money are you spending a month on magazines? How much money are you spending on streaming video? Um, because guess what? You can get those things from the library and I can show you my iPad. It's got the latest Vogue on it. It's got the latest fast business. Like it's got all the things. Um, it's got the streaming service. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I never buy a magazine anymore. I'm not a monster, but I am going to say that my spending habits have reduced vastly since, um, you know, TPL got more of their magazine collection online. And I just, I think... It's one of those things where pointing out to them, what is something that you're already consuming that likely the library already provides? So true. And, and that's what they're missing out on. Excellent the answer. The library. The library. <laughs> so thank you for being such a great sport and answering our silly list of questions. And it was great having you on the podcast. So give us your plugs. Plug everything. All right. Here's my plugs. What do we got? We've got, um, I mean, personally, I am found online at Citybrarian which I'm sorry, that is my handle. I live in a city. I once was a Brarian. I guess I kind of still am a Brarian. Uh, city Brarian, I'm on Insta. I'm on Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook under Michelle Arbuckle. Um, 
What are the other things? I know you guys hate Pinterest, but whatever. I am on Pinterest. <laughs> I am saving those recipes like a queen. Um, Ontario Library Association can be found in all of those same spaces. Uh, I will also add LinkedIn to that because we do announce a lot of the programs that we do through LinkedIn. We have an online magazine called Open Shelf, which you can check out. It is open as the title suggests um we are also found on youtube we try to put some things up on there i along with um my team here put out bi-weekly yes that's right every other week um the podcast library land loves which you can find wherever you find your pods um it is a 30 minute quick commuter podcast that um highlights in a top five format a variety of things happening in library land so this week we just put out a special election season um pod because uh we are all going to the polls here in ontario next month october 22nd so we put that out to talk about how libraries can get more involved with the political process what an election season means to to most public libraries um and we talked a lot about advocacy so yeah those are my big plugs Excellent. Wow. I'm going to have a lot of work to do putting this stuff on the website. Holy cow. <laughs> you did it on purpose, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> so again, thanks for, for uh, taking the time to, to speak with us today because this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. You. Yeah, This, this is my first time guesting on a pod, so I'm, I'm super excited about it. Very cool. Fantastic. We're glad you were the first. Thanks. So, okay, that's all the time we have for this episode. And uh, if you have any questions uh, or comments on our show, drop us a line at, at the contact us section of our website at thelibrarypros.com. And we'll also have links and photos, all of our links and photos from this episode on the site. So visit us on Twitter at, at thelibrarypros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. And... Please tell a friend, because that's how word of mouth spreads about us. And remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, and not of the Station Public Library, the MS Park Memorial Library, the OLA, or any, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Kristen Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.